I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hi everyone, Kristen Sunanta-Walker here and we're doing a roundtable discussion today with Dr. Paul Meyer. Paul, thanks so much for coming on. Hi, I enjoy enjoy being on, (laughs) helping people in our listening family. Absolutely. And of course, Melanie Van. Thank you, Melanie. And thanks for the topic for today. Oh, sure. It's, It's an important one. Absolutely. Good to be on with you guys. Yeah, it's actually 9-10, September 10th. Tomorrow is September 11th, and we know what a big day um, that is. And um, today, the 10th of September, is World Suicide Prevention Day. So um, I think we're all going to be feeling quite emotional because of today. And then as we go into how 9-11 affected everyone, you know, uniquely and also commonly, um, as we go into tomorrow, but we're going to not have this be a depressing show. (laughs) Um, We're going to talk about hope in here as well. So I'm going to start off with you, Melanie, um, which you're probably going to be like, what? Start with Paul, but let's (laughs) start with Melanie. Let's start with you, Melanie on, on uh, what, what did you see today that made you realize this? And, And you're the one who we said, Melanie picks the topic this week. Well, uh, I I try to stay in front of the national observances for our website so I can honor those whenever I can. And uh, when I type that in today, um, of course, World Suicide Prevention Day came up and and September is actually Suicide Prevention Month or Suicide Awareness Month. I'm not 100% sure which, but... That being said, I thought it would be a great topic to talk about. Before we get into the show, I wanted to offer a couple of numbers, and then we'll offer them again at the end of the show. It's the National Suicide Prevention Line. It's 1-800-273-TALK or 1-800-273-8255. You can also text the word START, in caps, S-T-A-R-T, to 741-741, and you'll start to receive messages there. So if any of our listeners are having thoughts about suicide, you can certainly use those two things to reach out to. 
and hopefully that'll give you the extra needed support that you need if you're in that place. So I just wanted to put those out there. And what does being in that place mean, Paul? Well, when a uh, suicide hotline would be, and uh, if you don't remember these numbers, all you got to do is Google suicide hotline, you know, <laughs> but uh, uh, suicide hotline is if somebody's feeling acutely suicidal at the moment and they need to talk to somebody immediately, then then that would be a good thing to do. It's not, it's not the cure. You know, you need, uh, you need see, you know, seek professional help counseling and uh, you may or may not need uh, medication as well. And um, you can, uh, you know, you, you need to get in to see a psychiatrist or a counselor. Uh, it's, it's, it takes a while sometimes to get in to see a psychiatrist, but uh, you can get in to see a counselor almost immediately. Um, and people can call our number too, one uh, clinic And, and if, if we don't uh, have a clinic in your uh, city, which we probably don't, we've got uh, a chain, but you know, just, they're not, not in a lot of cities and, uh, uh, but we can help you uh, find somebody in your area. Um, so treatment takes time, uh, but a hotline's for, if you feel like it right now and you're afraid, you know, you're afraid you might. So when someone's at that place, I always wonder, you know, when someone's in that place where they're afraid that they might, that the fear is there of what they're going to do. And that fear is to me a bit of hope because they're reaching out. It's the people that don't want to call. How do we reach those people is what I think about um, that. They're so beyond hope that they don't even want to call. They really don't want to be here. So, you know, what are your thoughts around around that, Melanie? Well, I mean, <laughs> depression is such a tricky thing because so often a lot of times when a person has major depressive disorder, uh, you don't one of the major symptoms of that is that you don't reach out to people. You become secluded. Um, You stop doing things with your friends and family. You don't pick up your phone. You're not calling people. You're not socializing like like you used to. So there's less chance that someone would actually be able to see that there's really a, a problem going on. So I think that's one of the biggest challenges is that the very nature of major depressive disorder is that you you don't socialize. So if you have a you know a family member a friend a coworker anyone that you know is suffering from depression then i think the best thing to do is just stay in communication and that doesn't mean Uh, I found tons of lists today in doing research about what to say to someone that's majorly depressed or what to say to someone that you know is struggling with suicide ideation. And it's not everything's going to be okay. That, that, that's not always (laughs) the best thing to say. Um, And these things do matter. You know, this is part of what I was trained to do when I went to school to be a counselor is they teach you the correct verbiage to use with your clients. And sometimes the best thing to say is I'm here if you need me. Sometimes the best thing to do is just literally to show up and not say a word. Uh, Maybe just take them, you know, uh, some soup or go sit with them or go wash their clothes or wash their dishes for them because they may not be doing them. And then you ask, you ask those hard questions. I posted that on our site today 
And I think that's one of the, the most important things is you just need to ask, are, are you contemplating suicide? Do you want to kill yourself or, or do you... Or do you not want to be here anymore? Because sometimes people don't want to say that they want to kill themselves. So you can say it in a different way. And then if they answer yes, then you can ask them, do you have a plan? And that will let you know if um, the person actually has, you know, thoughts of how they're actually going to do it. And if they do have a plan, then honestly, the best thing to do is try to get them to the hospital somewhere. Um, and then they can be admitted as harm to self and you may be saving someone's life right um, you know pick up the phone and make an appointment at, at a counseling office if the person doesn't have insurance then take them to the local clinic just do it if you know if someone is in that position then sometimes a, a friend just or family member has to take over and just make sure that the person you know is is well taken care of because they're not in a position where they can make decisions themselves so this is hard stuff for our listeners. Like this is not, um, it's not easy. I've been around people that were suicidal um, and it's very difficult energy to stand in. Mm -hmm. It's really hard and it takes a lot of brevity to, to listen to that gut feeling that I've had most of the times knowing that, that someone was in trouble. And when you get that feeling, you just need to have the courage to to speak up and to do something and to help. Yeah, people are afraid. A lot of people are afraid. Well, if I ask my teenager or my mate or my friend um, if they feel like dying, then I'm afraid I'll introduce that idea to them. And and uh, don't be afraid of that. If you if you ask somebody, and in in when you do ask, you have to be a little bit uh, vague. I, I'll tell you, I mean, like if I asked every new patient I saw, uh, are you suicidal? Almost a hundred percent would say no, but I ask them yeah, if they're real depressed. I say, well, d do you wish God would let you die? Uh, very often they say, oh yeah, I, I feel that way every day. And so they're really passively suicidal, mm -hmm. but uh, to them, are you suicidal means, are you planning on doing it today or something like that? You know, so, uh, do you, do you have death wishes? And if they say yes, and, and so don't be afraid to ask that of somebody because they're less likely to do it if they bring it out in the open than they are if they keep it a secret. Absolutely. So do you feel, do you have death wishes? Do you wish you could die? Do you wish you could be dead? Uh, and and if they say yes, then then I ask them, how would you do it if you did it? And uh, and if they say, well, I don't know, I've never thought of a way. I just, you know, wish God would let me die. That, then that that's encouraging, you know, then, then uh um, uh, then, then there's a, a lot of hope that, that they can, I mean, uh, people are going to get well, even if they're acutely suicidal, if they get help, but, but they won't need to go right, right to a hospital or anything like that. But if they say, well, uh, I would use the gun in the cabinet, you know, that, that, that at that point I ask them, well, can you promise me that you won't? And they say, yeah, I wouldn't do that, but I've, I've thought about that because then they, then they could go to something like our day program or something where they get acute care. But if they say, yeah, I was planning on doing it uh, tomorrow at, at noon and I've been preparing for it. And, you know, if, if they do that, or if, if you ask them, um, like Melanie said earlier, can, you know, can you promise me that you won't do it? I had that happen to a college girl uh, last week. I asked her that because she, she really wanted help, but she felt 
uh, very suicidal. And I said, can you promise me that you won't? Because I'd like for you to come in our day program if you can promise me that you won't. And she said, I can't promise you that I won't. So, you know, we uh, got her to go to a, a hospital nearby. And I, I don't treat people in the hospital, but we sent her to a, a good place nearby. And, and uh, uh, so she's been there for about uh, five or six days now. And she's doing well enough where they're going to let her out tomorrow. And she's going to come in our day program and get intensive therapy because now she can promise that she won't. She still feels like dying. She may still have suicidal thoughts, but she can promise uh, uh, that she won't. Right. And if and if you ask people what are the methods that pop into your head, you're not you're not going to convince them to do it because if they talk about the methods, the secret methods that they haven't told anybody that have popped into their head, then again they're less likely to do it. And and when you ask them stuff like that. Not only are you helping them to bring it out in the open and making it less likely that they'll do it, you can't guarantee that they won't, but make it less likely, but you're also going to have a better idea what kind of what kind of help they need. I think too, with you know people like Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade and you know Robin Williams is an example um, that have uh, you know. I don't know what the proper term is now because every time you say something next week, there's a, there's a, the better way of saying it, but people who have died of suicide um, that seem like on the outside, they're successful, they've got everything to live for, blah, 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 you know, at a different level than maybe, you know, people like me as an example. But I think that they're, it's changed the way that we look at suicide and it's made it, um, it's not changed the fact that people are suicidal and that do have these thoughts. It's just changed the way that we see it. Um, and, and that it doesn't matter what's going on in your life, how much money you have, fame, whatever. You know, I think about the people that are really high functioning, depressed people, high functioning and they're suicidal. I've been that person. I've been the planning it. And I've been the, I just give me a heart attack right now, you know, so I've been in both of those places. And I don't remember anyone asking me, are you feeling suicidal? I would say I am, but, you know, nobody asking me that question. And when I went back and I said later, you know, why didn't you, you know, even to a couple therapists, I asked, you know, why didn't you ask me that? Because I was telling you. And they were kind of shocked. And one of them admitted, well, you just don't see, I mean, you're bright and attractive and you have your own company and you just, you know, you're vivacious. And so you've got, you know, low grade depression. I just didn't think that, you know, you, I, I thought you were being dramatic. And I was like, my God. Yeah, that's why you got to ask. Yeah, you need to ask at every intake. I mean, most intake paperwork, um, if you're filling it out or if your counselor is filling it out, is going to have that question on you. And if it doesn't, you need a better intake form. Right, Paul? Um, So so I mean, I think what you're saying, Kristen, is that all of our hearts are the same. We're Mm -hmm. all human beings. We all suffer from from soul pain to mental illness. And it's such a big spectrum. And I, I have seen and heard every 
path, and I'm sure there's hundreds more to suicide. I mean, one, one vision of someone that has major depressive disorder and can't seem to get themselves out of bed, that is just one, mm -hmm. you know, one image of what it may look like before someone commits suicide. It can be yeah, someone right. functioning, like you said, Kristen, that's got everything going for them. But underneath, you know, they've struggled with maybe they've had abuse in their life. Maybe they've suffered yeah. from major depression all their life. Maybe they're bipolar. You know, sometimes people yeah. commit suicide when they're manic. It's not when they're depressed, but it's when they're manic. Right. Then you've got sometimes people commit suicide in the heat of the moment. There's an argument. There's a mate that's left them. There's something that is very acute that has brought them to the point that they've made a really bad situation. You know, I unfortunately had, and this may, I guess, could be considered triggering for some, but, you know, I had a, a family member that um, was a, a young man in his early 20s, and he had been drinking and probably um, maybe intoxicated with something else, and his girlfriend broke up with him. And before he left her house that night, he committed suicide in her home. Mm -hmm. um, and so this, this can go on, you know, in any way. There's so many different ways that this can happen. And I don't ever, you know, we talk about what can you do to help. And, and sometimes there's, you could do everything possible and it still wouldn't matter. So that right. was the I wanted to make is that what we're saying tonight is this might save one person's life, but it doesn't mean that if you've done everything you possibly could, sometimes it still doesn't matter if the person right. is committed to doing it. So, right. Yeah. And, and uh, like, like Melanie just said, a lot of people aren't necessary. you know, most people that commit suicide were depressed first, but a lot of them weren't, uh, um, the, something like half of suicides are uh, people that attempt suicide decided to within five minutes of when they did it. So a lot mm -hmm. of them are impulsive, like the example that you gave, um, especially when you're young and, and, and you've been, uh, you got real serious about a relationship. And then, uh, you know, there's a, you find out your girlfriend or boyfriend or your fiance or your mate has uh, uh, run off with somebody else and or, or just totally shocked you and abandon you then there's even songs that say i can't live without you and all that you know right. well yeah you can there's eight billion people out there and he or she is just one of them yeah you can live without them you know it's gonna hurt yeah. but 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 uh, people feel like all is lost and uh so they they uh, especially when they're young you know somebody that's uh 45 and somebody abandoned them well that might be the fourth or fifth time it happened to them in their life so they say well i survived the other four times so you know, right. it really, it really sucks. It really hurts, you know, but, but I'll get over it. But a teenager may feel like, like all is lost. And as far as people that are depressed, um, if we took, you know, there's thousands of people that uh, in our listening family right now that are listening to this. And most of you are not depressed. Most of you are happy people. But if we took, uh, you know, several thousand of you and injected you with something that made your serotonin get low, you'd be suicidal, you know, maybe an hour from now. Mm. And when, when your serotonin is low, you feel like all is lost. It's never going to get better. It's like you have, uh, if you, if you got pets, it's like you have your pet doo-doo on your glasses, you know, and everything uh, looks that way in life. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so most people that come 
um, that, that we, that I worked up for our day program, for example, um, feel very depressed. I've had some tell me, you know, if this doesn't work, I'm going to kill myself because it's my last hope. And, uh, and yet they do get well. And, uh, um, but, but, but when you're depressed, it feels like you're not going to. And, and, uh, another thing that I thought of when you were all, when you were sharing those things is, uh, I've got right in front of me from the national Institute of mental health, some things. And, and one thing is that, uh, as many as eight out of 10 teens who commit suicide tried to ask for help in some way, sometimes mm. it's subtle, but they try to ask for for help in some way before they committed suicide, such as by seeing a doctor right before the suicide attempt or doing something to sort of, uh, you know, hint that they need help. And we're afraid to ask, uh, teenagers mm-hmm. and, and a lot of times they hide it. And, and um, according to this a huge survey of teenagers, it says more than one out of every 12 teenagers had attempted suicide in the previous year. Mm. Now, now attempted means, you know, uh, only, you know, only one out of 20 times or 30 times that they attempted, uh, you know, a lot of attempts are, are, you know, overdosing on, uh, you know, 15 aspirin or, uh, which, you know, right. 40 can kill you, 40 Tylenol can kill you. So that's not to be made light of, but, but, um, but lots of times it's, uh, you know, I had somebody, uh, a few days ago that overdosed on half a dozen, uh, uh, Xanax and it just made them feel better, you know, <laughs> but, but, uh, so they didn't really want to die, but it was a cry for help. Right. But, uh, but those who, uh, I mean, but a lot of teenagers do die of suicide. It's the, third or fourth leading cause of death in, uh, in teens. And the suicide rate is, uh, about 300% higher now than it was 50 years ago because of a lot of, uh, factors. And, um, so, um, and, and, and another thing that, another thing is that you mentioned success, you see people that are real successful and famous and wealthy and all that in reality, uh, in every, ma- in every major city in the United States, the highest suicide rate is in the wealthiest suburb. So Mm -hmm. the more money you earn, the more likely it is that you'll kill yourself. Yeah, that's so, I mean. That surprises people. It does, it does. I'd be happy if I was rich. (laughs) Yeah, they they think that. And I, I, you know, the nature of doing the interviews I do and with the people that I do, many of whom are very, you know, considered what is what Western society believes is successful, and they share their deepest vulnerabilities on my show. So I've gotten over it a long time ago, thinking, oh, Dr. So and so would never. That's just not true. I've because they come on here and share, and it's wonderful that they do. But, you know, I was thinking about, you know, filling out an intake form. I today could fill out an intake form and say, check a box that yes, I've been suicidal. But, you know, at the times that I really was suicidal, I would not have checked that box. It'd take more than a box on a piece of paper to get me to what's going on. Because my family absolutely knows how to pretend Academy Award winning pretend like everything is absolutely hunky-dory to the outside world and I learned how to do that from a very young age and that is not what was going on at home so you have to think about how do we reach the people that were like me 
who learned this from a very young age that I'm not going to be checking a box. Uh -uh -uh. It would have taken somebody saying, Kristen, are you suicidal right now? Seriously, promise me you're not going to do anything like you said, Paul. It would take something like that for me to probably start crying and admit it. Someone having the you know, the um, wherewithal to say it like that to me, to kind of shake me up and get past my very huge wall for me to, to get into it. So I guess what I'm saying, listeners, you know, those of you that are getting into therapy, friends of people that, you know, are this way, ask the question. I mean, just ask it and be serious because this is not something to be taken lightly. So if somebody isn't and they're mildly offended, oh, well, move on. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, 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 tell my, I tell my clients, you know, when you're clinically depressed, then you're, you're bound. I say almost everybody that gets, you know, uh, clinically depressed, serotonin depleted, has thoughts of uh, you wish you could die. Do you have those two? In other words, I'm, I'm making it acceptable yeah. for them. Instead of you know, Excellent. but making them feel like they're the only one. Melanie, you were people get, something. people get don't exist messages too. We need oh, to, yeah. when we, uh, with our mate, with our friends, with, and when we're raising kids, especially, uh, it's important that we don't give people don't exist messages. Cause like if, if somebody, uh, if a father keeps promising his child, well, okay, we'll do that Saturday. Yeah. I'll do that with you tomorrow. And then you always back out. Then you're saying don't exist, and and uh, right. if if you you know if if a child goes up to his parent and and wants to talk and they they're busy reading the sports page or something they brush them aside. There's a lot of subtle ways you can give people don't exist messages, and then if they get enough of them, then then they tend to incorporate them, and they almost feel like they it. they need yeah. to commit suicide to to fulfill what they've been told to do. Hmm. I like, I've not heard that term, Paul. I like that. The don't exist messages. That's a, that's a, a powerful way to put it. And I think it would really, um, you know, help clients articulate their feelings. And I, I feel like that's one of our um, biggest, I guess, walls we have to climb when it comes to suicide prevention and suicide awareness and education is that I feel like, our society is not well manned with words to describe our feelings, uh, you know, so that I love that do not exist messages. I think that's a great way to say it. So yeah, cause I, they can change their mind. They can yeah. change their mind and decide, well, you know what? I have had those messages and, and uh, by golly, I'm going to decide that I am going to exist. That I exist. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You got to convince people that they're worth, uh, their life is worth living. Yes, definitely. And I, and I think, too, sometimes you start to have the messages in your head before you get to the point of suicide ideation. So because yeah. I think a lot of the messages are very much the same and that, you know, it might be I don't want to be here anymore. I just want to disappear. I just want to fall into a hole. I just want to go to sleep. And sometimes you haven't gotten to the point that you're thinking about committing suicide, but I think a lot of times those sayings are things that eventually lead to that. And we all know that cognitively, if you're constantly on that loop of thinking those things, then your brain is just going to continue to take you there. 
I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Maybe identifying those types of things and helping people articulate exactly what they they feel could help. Because I think that's one of the biggest pieces of suicide. And that is that people just don't want to feel pain anymore. And and that's, that's, that's one of the biggest reasons that I feel like people do it because they're just exhausted and they're so tired and overwhelmed by the amount of pain they feel and they don't know how to get rid of it. And so they see that as their only way out. And I think another thing too, is that a lot of people that may have complex PTSD or have been in a lot of trauma, they see the world there. They believe their innermost being believes that the world is not a safe place. Yes. The smartest way for them to be safe is to not be here anymore. And that is their logic of thinking. Well, if this is such an unsafe place and it always has been for me, then the best thing for me to do to protect myself is just to not be here anymore. And and when you've been in complex trauma, that, that makes sense, you know? Yeah. Uh, factors, uh, factors, and I've, <laughs> all three of us have been studying uh, 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 suicide things today. And I was feeling pretty happy before I started preparing for this program, you know, but, uh, but man, when, you know, it's sad, uh, when, when you, when you lose somebody to suicide, uh, but, but several factors, I'm going to read, uh, just something real briefly here, several factors that increase the risk of uh, suicide. Of course, depression, we've mentioned that feelings of loneliness or helplessness, alcohol or drug addiction. Uh, you know, anybody that abuses, uh, pain meds we've talked about you know at least you know the heroin opioid crisis and or mm-hmm. anyone uh, if we took a hundred happy people and made them drink a bottle of wine a night then uh, you know maybe five or ten would would commit suicide or maybe three or four and but maybe half of them would get clinically depressed because alcohol is a depressant it lowers your serotonin and makes you depressed so drinking uh, more than two glasses a day uh, of wine or, or, uh, two strong drinks or four beers a day can uh, make somebody become suicidal, even if their life is fine. Otherwise a family history of abuse, um, or suicide in the, uh, in the family makes it more likely that other people will do it uh, the same way or do the same thing. Violence in the home, uh, a recent loss, such as a breakup, parents going through a divorce, different things, uh, being bullied, being mm-hmm. bullied, that's those don't exist messages yeah. or even worse than don't exist is I, I hope you exist so I can bully you and use you as a punching bag. You know, that would be even worse than don't exist uh, messages. Fear of ridicule for getting uh, psychiatric or counseling help. If people have lost a, a close uh, friend to suicide, then it makes them more likely to think about it. Um, 
Um, in, in, in America, we talked about World Suicide Day. In, here in America, something like 40% of people who commit suicide do it with a gun. And there's a lot wider access to guns here. And so people say, well, if we threw away all the guns, it would eliminate a lot of suicides. But in reality, um, the countries in Europe, and I studied that today, the countries in Europe that don't have guns have a suicide rate that's uh, almost double what it is in America. They still commit suicide. They just use other other methods other, other methods. than other than yeah. guns so it's not the guns that kill people it's people that kill people you've heard that before but but uh, uh women girls and women attempt suicide a lot more than men do but a lot more men die of it than women so it's like hmm. twice as many women attempt it as men but twice as many men die of it as women because men use more violent means uh, to attempt it so those are just some uh, factors that make it more likely that people will be suicidal. I think too, reminding, you know, a reminder for all of us, go to therapy. I mean, we have, there's so much going on in the world right now. If you're in the United States and you're listening, it doesn't matter where you're listening, we have people listening, you know, from all over the world, but there's a lot going on in this world. Life is stressful. Get some counseling, seriously. I mean, you know, I've had people uh, come to me and say, well, you know, I come to you to get counseling. And I'm like, listen, <laughs> I am not a licensed counselor. I've been, I go to therapy every week. And sometimes when people come to me and they want that out of me, it's draining for me. And I'm now getting better about saying, you know what? I love you. I really do. But you need to do what I do, which is take personal responsibility for what's going on in your life and go to a counselor and work on this stuff. So, you know, there's a lot of preventative measures that we can all take personal responsibility for um, by getting ourselves into counseling and working on some of our stuff because a lot of people uh, that commit suicide are or die by suicide are um, people who just haven't dealt with their stuff. And so the they finally hit a breaking point. It's not that this one trauma just happened. It's a lifetime of stuff over and over and over again that they never dealt with. They never processed. They never got help you know, four, and the one more thing happens and they just snap and yeah. can't take it anymore. Yeah. And so really, truly go and get some counseling because you got to get this stuff out of yourself, out of your mouth, out of your heart, out of your soul with uh, someone that can help you in a safe environment, get it yeah. out. And And I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now, we want, we decided before we even started doing the podcast today that we, we want this not to just be, um, you know, sharing all the sad those things. You need to know the sad things. You need to know what can cause it and all that, but we want to offer some hope too. Yes. I've, I, I've been practicing psychiatry for 42 years now and I've never met a suicidal uh, patient that we couldn't get over it. I've never met one that we couldn't get over it if they would cooperate and do the things they need to do. Mm. Um, and, and we see, I admit people, everyone that comes to our day program, for example, that's where they come seven hours a day, five days a week for about three weeks, sometimes four weeks. 
Uh, I do the workup on every single one of them. Uh, I saw somebody today, you know, and, and you, I see him for about an hour or longer. And, um, and, uh, and most of the people that are real depressed uh, do have death wishes, either passive or, or active. And, uh, and they all, uh, you know, usually within a week to 10 days, the suicidal thoughts are gone. And within about three weeks, the depression is gone or, or far enough gone so they can finish up on an outpatient basis. But what we do, I'll tell you what we do that, that cures them. And it may surprise you. I tell people when they come in, you know, they're already feeling really sad. And I say, well, you know, you're going to be in a loving environment. My, our counselors are very loving and kind, but they're going to dig. We're going to dig and probe and get you to, uh, we're, we're going to try to get you to cry every day. What? You know? Yeah. You, you know, in order to get yeah. well, we need to get you to talk about the things that you're sad about and that you're angry about and feel oh, yeah. guilty about. And, and, uh, and so we dig and probe and we get people to talk about, um, the, the, if they've been abused or raped or whatever, talk about it and uh, put an empty chair in front of them and, and imagine the person being there and tell them off and, and, uh, and then, uh, their self-talk, you know, if they put themselves down and have those don't exist messages in their own brains, mm-hmm. you know, we, we convince them that they can make new decisions. They don't have to obey the things that the, the baloney that they were taught, um, by others. Um, uh, the, the, you know, you can make re-decisions, we call it. You decided when you were young and, and, and your parents or somebody told you you were worthless, you decided they were right. But now that you're grown up, you can make re-decisions and decide, you know what, they were wrong. Yeah. They were lying. You know, they, they didn't know. they Or they they knew they were lying or they just, you know, were crazy or something. But but you can make your own new decisions uh, in life. and. And when you do those things and share and other people listen to you and they, you know, you're sharing in group therapy and people are crying with you and, and, uh, you get well, I mean, when you get it out in the open and talk about it and make new decisions about, uh, how to survive, then, then, uh, then, uh, in the meantime, we use medications too, to, to help. Um, and that helps speed up the recovery. I do want to say one thing about medications because a lot of people are afraid of them. Well, I'm afraid to put my teenager on an antidepressant because it might cause them to commit suicide. Well, here's what happens. If you got a hundred thousand teenagers that were suicidal and they didn't get any antidepressant, then, uh, you know, maybe out of that hundred thousand, a thousand of them or more would die of suicide. If, if they all took an antidepressant, then they're, there, there'd probably only be 200 instead of a thousand that committed suicide. And, and, and so that, then people misinterpret that and say, well, in 200 people, it caused suicide. No, it didn't. They committed suicide, even though they got on an antidepressant, it didn't, right. it's not the antidepressant that caused the suicide. Um, uh, in, in, in a very few cases, there are some, some people that, that, uh, teenagers included that may have uh, bipolar disorder or something that hasn't shown up yet. And when you take an antidepressant, it can, it can make those people, it can make it show up. And, uh, at that moment, and it, it would have shown up sooner or later anyway, but it, it, it can make it. And so in rare cases, it could make it more likely that somebody would. So I don't want to say it never does, but, uh, well, you're, you know you're, what? you're a lot safer taking an antidepressant than you are not taking one if you're suicidal. And thank goodness. Now we have genetic testing. <laughs> Yeah, because I'm telling you, the ability to see what to see what 
absolutely isn't going to work because you've done a genetic test can also and does increase the um, success rate of medication. I mean, it's especially when we're dealing with, you know, with mental illness. So I, I'm so happy that we're at that place now where we can do that and physicians have access to those kinds of tests so that they can treat more effectively, you know? Yeah, we have a lot of good tools. I mean, you know, Kristen, you were talking about counseling and therapy and, you know, sometimes people just don't have access to that, whether it be financial, they may not True. have any. The point being is that talk to someone, talk yeah. to someone, talk to someone at your church. If you don't have any friends, and a lot of times these are the people that end up dying by suicide because they do feel so isolated, then, I, I mean, I, I dare say if you went and sat down at the table with a stranger and said, I need someone to talk to. I really need some help. They would probably sit there and talk to you. Now, I know a lot of people that are having suicide ideation are not likely to go sit down with a stranger. Point being, if you just talk to someone, even if it's someone That's that you... Those hotlines are so yeah, great for. hotlines or an, a friend from high school. You know, we've got social media now. Reach out to someone. And, and here's the other piece of it that I feel like those of us that are well of mind and not having suicide ideation, if we see someone that's isolated, like in high school, you read the wonderful stories about someone going and sitting with the person that's never sat with, you know, don't, don't leave people out. If you know someone that has just lost family members or has cut their family off for whatever reason, if you know anyone that is isolated, maybe it's an, an elderly person, do something, reach out. Sometimes that's the one thing that might save them is literally just you attempting to do something. Because uh, I really do believe that isolation is a big oh, yeah. piece of and I, part of what the part of what you asking a person if they have suicide ideation is that as soon as those words come out of your mouth, they are no longer alone in those thoughts. That's right. Because so far, they've been alone in their head with it. And as soon as you say it, even if they deny it, as soon as you say it, they're not alone in it anymore. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. What, I, what you said uh, just triggered a memory of something I, I read about two hours ago that the highest suicide, one of the very highest suicide rates is in white males uh, over 85 years old who yeah. are alone, who are alone in the world. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, it's really high. Um, yeah. And and so, uh, you know, it's not just teenagers that attempt, uh, you know, they, they do attempt suicide more than adults do. But uh, but a lot of adults, uh, especially the elderly, um, are also uh, more likely to commit suicide. And I think the, the reason rich people tend to do it is, is uh, they, they think growing up and even as adults that, that, uh, that success will bring uh, happiness mm -hmm. and that your net worth is the same as your self-worth and things like that. And in reality, the only thing that really brings happiness is loving and being loved uh, by God and a couple of other people and by yourself. In fact, uh, they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, if you obey this one, you'll automatically obey the other 365 that there are. Yeah, and that's to love uh, God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. So you, you need to love, 
you need to be decide to love yourself and be your own best friend. It's not the same as vanity and narcissism No. Uh, to have a healthy love for yourself, but you need to decide I'm going to be my own best friend and I'm going to take care of me. And, uh, and, and then you need to have somebody else that you can share your gut level feelings with even the, the death wishes. And, uh, um, and, and so you need to love others, love God, love yourself. And one other thing, one other thing that is real important before we run out of time is survivor's <laughs> guilt. Um, yeah. that I see people that are really, really depressed because their mate or their child or somebody committed suicide and, and they often blame themselves. And I explain to them, you know, when, uh, when somebody's serotonin is low, they're in such pain, um, that, that suicide seems logical. It makes it become, logical even when it's not logical so they're in such pain and when your serotonin is low you feel like there's no light at the end of the tunnel it's never going to go away i'm going to spend the rest of my life in the, in this much pain and i can't tolerate it and so suicide becomes logical and and uh, they if if they you know if they would have gotten themselves help and and gotten on medication to at least restore their serotonin to normal so they could go get some counseling and work on the issues that depleted it in the first place, then they would have gotten over it. And even people, uh, a research study that we've quoted before, even people that got assisted suicides, they signed up for assisted suicides in, in uh, I think it's Oregon that allows it. There's mm -hmm. one state out there. And, uh, and, and they persuaded a number of them to go ahead and get some help first. And then if they still want assisted suicide, you know, they, they were free to do it. And out of the ones that got help and got medication and counseling, uh, about 80% of them changed their minds because they mm -hmm. just didn't realize that there was hope. So there is hope. Uh, yes. I want people out there to know that there is hope. Uh, I mean, 100% of people can get over depression if they get the right kind of help. Yeah. And, and here's hope. Here's, you know, a hope piece here, people. <laughs> the reason we do this show, this is why we're a different kind of mental health show, because we talk about everybody, not just, you know, the expert that I may be interviewing. Everybody gets deep, at least that's where we try to go. Um, I just told someone that I wasn't going to air their show, but they were welcome to come back on because their show was like a commercial for the place that they work and that's not what our show is about so you either got to come on here and you got to get deep <laughs> you don't read me your your curriculum vitae <laughs> if that's how you yeah. say that that's not what this show is about so even if you're a counselor you better come on here and expect to talk about the human condition because somebody out there listeners who've listened for five years lord thank you and help you because I know you've heard my stories a hundred times already, but it's, it's for the new people that just tuned in and go, oh, they're talking about this kind of stuff. I'm not alone. That's why we do this. And the hope around feeling good about yourself, that self-love, it absolutely is so true because when you get to that other side and i'm speaking from someone who has gotten to that other side where you start to care about yourself i actually um get a little angry even sometimes more than angry now when i don't take care of myself because i like myself i think i'm a valuable human being and so i get upset when i take three steps back 
on, on how much I've built up in terms of my self-care. And that's phenomenal. <laughs> that's where we all should want to be. It's a 24 so, seven with your self-care. That's, that's right. Sure. You know, I read, I read an article and I want to give these because I think they're real positive. Um, the article was written by a woman named Jocelyn Leo, and it was featured on The Mighty, which has a lot of articles about mental health. If our listeners want to check that out. And she is actually um, a survivor of suicide attempt. And she made a list of eight things that helped her after mm. her suicide attempts. And I just wanted to read those really quickly. Number one is find your safe people. We mm. talked about that earlier. Find your safe people. Her second one was create something out of the pain. And she talked about how even in her most painful moments, she tried to draw. Even if she just like threw an egg at the wall, she still felt like she was creating something. <laughs> it's a way to get the pain out. You're ridding yourself of the pain. Go to a safe place. So even if it's just the park, even if it's a store that you really loved when you were a child, anywhere that you can think of that you felt safe, go there. Get a weighted blanket, which I love this because a lot of times I think we just think that weighted blankets are for people with sensory um, processing disorder, but that is not the case. A weighted blanket can do wonders because it What is that? I've never, I've never heard of that. What's a, a weighted blanket? It. It's literally a blanket that has weights in it so that when it, you put it on, it's like you're getting a hug. It's pressure. Oh, yeah. where do you get those? Yeah. yeah where do you get one? Watch, I guess you could just on find, look online, right? Type in weighted blanket and bing, huh. bang, boom, pop right yep. up. They're amazing. Huh. That's cool. That's cool. I never heard of that. You know what happens when you release all sorts of good chemicals when you get a hug, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, keep notes from your safe people. So have your, if you're, you know, if you suffer from depression or you're having suicide ideation, she had a little set of notes that she kept by her bedside table from some of her friends that were just funny or affirming quotes. Uh, <clears throat> number six was make list. And those were just list of random things that, you know, list of things that she remembered from childhood, a list of pretty flowers that she liked. That was just something that kind of got her head out of the negative thinking. Mm -hmm. Number seven was something you did today, Kristen, go for a walk. <laughs> Number eight, find things to look forward to. Some people don't know how to build a life where they have things to look forward to. That is a skill. Oh, yeah, it's it a is skill. A, I had years of not knowing how to do that. Because, because some people grow up and they had things to look forward to all the time. So they already understand what that means. But some people grew up and they literally had nothing but disaster to look forward to. They have no idea how to create things in their life that can bring them joy and happiness. So this is a real skill and, and something that um, could help you learn how to do. Obviously, you're not going to be doing these things when you're in the midst of active suicide ideation. But this was a list of things that she felt like kept her for getting, from getting back to the point right. where she was having active suicide thoughts. Um, yeah. Kind of coping. Get, get in a group. Get in some sort of group. It, it might be a, yeah. uh, you know, a, a sport group or a, a card playing group. I've been in a, uh, you know, in a, a card playing uh, monthly that where we get together monthly, and and uh, uh, it could be a Sunday school group. Uh, in, in a study in the Journal of the American Medical Association on 90,000 teenagers, T 
teenagers that were active in a in a church youth group had a much 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 lower suicide rate than kids that didn't do that so uh, you know get in a uh, you know boy scouts girl scouts uh adults you know uh celebrate recovery uh if you can't afford uh therapy uh, you can go to a celebrate recovery google that and there's one in every town if uh, there's a hundred of them in Dallas, probably different celebrate recovery groups, and you can go to those and, and they're free and, um, and, uh, volunteers that have training, uh, do those. And, and, uh, and a lot of people that helps a lot of people, but getting some sort of group, because that helps you to have something to look forward to. Um, if, if you're in some sort of, uh, fun group, you know, a real interesting, um, statistic I found today. And of course, when I read it, I was like, well, of course, People that own pets are a lot less likely to commit suicide. Amen. If you're not ready ready for people, and sometimes when when you have complex PTSD, you're just like not ready for people because you've just been wounded, go go adopt a pet. There's so many cats and dogs that need to be adopted from your local shelter. Sometimes, in fact, most of the time, they have free adoption something, you know, once every six months or something, or you can get someone to sponsor your adoption on their website. And so you're still able to get your animal for free. And, well, you know, you know, you know what yeah. else you can do? Cause I was not in a position uh, when I was a teenager to, you know, get my own pet, obviously. So I did my own little version of rent a pet. Yeah. You- I went to the neighbors, anybody that I saw had a dog and they work full time. And I was like, I'll take your dog for a walk. You don't even have to pay me. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Like the favorite kid in the entire neighborhood. And I lived at some of these people's houses. My house was not safe in any way, shape or form. And yet, and so my safe space was all these houses with all these animals. And it was awesome so you know even as an adult you can walk someone's dog man it makes such a huge you know it makes and people that work (laughs) full-time you know um, they'll let you walk their dog I promise you they will let you I've thought seriously about writing a book called things you can learn from Yorkies (laughs) (laughs) really I've thought about that seriously I've got a little Yorkie that I've had for about 11 years now and uh and she's only uh about seven pounds big you know as an 11 year old Paul, do and uh <laughs> and uh she i've got one of my wife's got one they sleep with us at night and everything and uh and and when you get home they're wagging their tail so so much you know their butt end is almost falling over you know because they're so happy to see you and and when i do feel sad some days I, i'll hear enough sad stories uh uh, that I'll come home and I'll just just plop down yeah. in my chair and feel really sad myself yeah. uh, for them. And uh, and uh, if if my little uh, Gracie sees uh, me looking sad, she'll come right over and lick my foot until I pick her up. And then she'll lick my hand, and you know yep. they can sense it. They can sense it. Absolutely. They love. They have you unconditional love, love. You love writing books, Paul, and we should do this. Do, no, don't have it be about Yorkies. Just have it be about dogs, dogs. Yeah, and everybody. Yeah, dogs. I will write a chapter about border collies. What well, you can learn can from dogs about. You can write your chapter about Yorkies. Well, we can find different people that can talk about yeah. you know, 
the the breed. A really good book. Yeah, what you can learn what from these. What you can learn from golden retrievers, what you can learn from beagles. That'd be yep. I think it would yeah, be. I would, I would actually write that chapter. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. so. dogs, dogs are a lot better than people at, at a lot of things, oh. including unconditional love. Oh, my they God. They love you no matter number, what. They love the you no number, matter what. The number of people that cried into Miles's neck. I'm not even kidding you. That dog has had, because of, we went to, you know, psych, psych wards and mental health hospitals and nursing homes, people laid on the floor with a sheet over them and would only let Miles dig his way under the sheet and cuddle with them. Very sweet. I mean, it just, it's amazing. I got to witness this all the time. And I was, I used to take my, I used to take my Yorkie to work every Friday to make rounds on the people that were in the day program. And so I'd, I'd have them, I'd have Gracie sit on their lap while I was chatting with each one, you know, about how they're doing that day and whether we need to change their meds or things like that. It's amazing. uh, What Mm -hmm. a, you know, therapeutic influence they have. People look forward to to the coming Friday to have a little therapy session from Gracie. That's right. That's awesome. Yay, what a great way to end the show on a high That's note. Right. Go, a go high adopt note. a cat or dog. <laughs> go adopt. go walk one for a neighbor. Do it. Yeah, anything. Go yeah. somewhere where there's a therapy dog, an emotional support animal. So, mm-hmm. yes. So um, I'm glad that we could talk about this. I'm glad we went there, as we always do, and that we ended the show on, you know, on a hope-filled note. So thank you both. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> and thanks to our listening family for another edition of Roundtable Discussions with Dr. Paul Meyer on Mental Health News Radio. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight. Good boy.